0: Welcome everybody to episode 25 of the Blue Skies Dronecast, the podcast by UAV Hub. This is a podcast for the UK drone industry, discussing everything from the UK regulations, new drones, and also speaking to you, the people within the drone industry. Presented this week by Tom Patterson, Adam Giorgio and Matthew Hurst. So uh, welcome along everyone to episode uh, 25. We've got a full house for this one, which is always good. Um, Adam is back, so that's always nice uh, to have him on board. Um, So yeah, a quick hello really, I guess. Matthew, how are you doing? All right? Has it been a, I suppose, yeah, I want to say a good week, but actually we're recording this on a Monday, weirdly. So uh, (laughs) how has your Monday been?
1: uh yeah tom it's been a busy time and incredible as we spoke just before we came on about the sort of time of year and how quickly we moved on um i'm not quite sure how long we've been recording the podcast but yeah 25 episodes in uh, quite a bit of time has passed and it's just about christmas yeah we might have to think about a
0: christmas episode i guess do we i don't know i suppose that's something we could do <laughs> adam what are your thoughts are we going to do a christmas episode or
2: <laughs> oh we could do i mean a festive film drone cast that's uh <laughs> How, how, how do you go about that predictions for, festive oh, that's it the, the rules and regulations for Santa
0: Claus <laughs> oh yeah we could do that yeah that's true yeah we'll, we'll have a little uh, think about that it's Santa's and, sleigh
1: certified <laughs> oh that, <laughs> that's exactly what I'd that will divide
0: to. opinions that will won't it yeah I don't know but uh, something to look forward to anyway listeners so that's uh that's the main thing so uh there we go so um brilliant so this episode is all about Basically, um, answering questions and frequently asked questions as well. So like I mentioned in our little teaser video, uh, we've been quite busy with different subjects, actually. And we thought we haven't really answered many questions for a while. So we've kind of grouped them all together, uh, made sort of an FAQ episode with listeners' questions uh, sort of uh, peppered in, I suppose. And uh, that's what we're going to be going through for this episode. So uh, without further ado we'll kick off with the uh, the first section which obviously is the FAQ section Uh, and uh, the first kind of question or FAQ um, is basically is the legacy transition applicable uh, to the GVC so this is a question that comes up a lot so uh, I guess let's kick off with uh, Adam on this answer so what do we uh, what do we think Adam
2: Yes, so the the legacy transition, which is this uh, two-year implementation period that was brought in when we adopted the new regulations on the uh, 1st of January 2021, so the beginning of this year, um, set in motion two years where you can use older drones or drones that don't have a C marking in the open category under the C2, uh, sorry, under the A2 subcategory of the open category, until the end of 2022. So the idea is that there's this kind of grace period where you can use uh, legacy drones that don't have a C marking. And obviously the question is, what well, is is that applicable to the GVC and the operational authorization? And it's no. It's, you can continue to use legacy drones without any C markings beyond this transition period, um, effectively, indefinitely, as long as your uh, GVC and your operational authorizer, authorization is uh still valid
0: brilliant okay so if you're um basically licensed with the the A2 CFC and you're worried obviously about this legacy period finishing I guess the easy option really if nothing else happens is to just move over to the GVC Matthew do you reckon is that what you'd do do you think
1: yeah, I think the GVC makes loads of sense, probably more so for a professional operator than a sort of hobbyist. But certainly, yeah, I think the GVC is the is the logical step forward. If we look at the sort of costs involved, they've come down, come down quite drastically over the last year or two. And it really is accessible to to the masses now. So, yeah, I, I certainly think that's a way forward for people who have high value aircraft that will no longer be able to operate uh, in congested areas after the transitional period has ended.
2: Adam? Yeah. So I just want to kind of, again, just re-emphasize what sort of Matthew has actually just said, that um, it, it, this transition period really is only applicable if you want to fly these legacy drones in a congested area, a built-up area. Um, if you only want to fly your drone um, in large open fields away from people, actually, you don't need to worry at all. Or if you know that you are going to buy a uh, a new certified drone in the future. again. Don't worry about it. But if you're a professional operator and you want to continue using whatever drug you've got today in a congested area, in these built up areas, then we would recommend getting the GVC yeah exactly
0: you're not going to be suddenly grounded I think that's what a lot of people think there are options aren't there to carry on flying uh, with the current regulations or move over to the GBC if you need to do uh, other types of flying as well so I think that makes sense that's the uh, first one ticked off so uh, very good lovely so uh, the next FAQ then um, if I have a DJI Mini 2 or something similar um, do i need to do the A2 C of C course then so that's another one that appears so uh, we'll go with Matthew shall we? Matthew do you want to answer that one what do we uh, what do we think
1: Yeah, Tom, this is an interesting one because technically there isn't any legal requirement for you to to have an A2CFC to fly these small lightweight aircraft in those sort of areas. But there is a sort of overwhelming benefit to doing the course. So we'd still recommend it, although there isn't a legal requirement. You need to have your operator ID. That's a prerequisite for just about all operators. But of course, the A2 course goes sort of far beyond the minimum requirements. And you'll really learn a lot of additional stuff, which is valuable to everybody operating drones. So I would certainly suggest it. Um, Adam, what are the other pros of looking at the courses and sort of pros and cons in that way?
2: Yeah, so I suppose the, the key thing is obviously that, you, know, you can fly a, a C2 certified drone when they come on the market. Um, So, you won't be just limited to um, the under 250-gram drones and C1 drones when they become um, available on the market. I also want to point out that actually you can still do a free trial of uh, Hmm. UAV Hub's A to C of C course without putting any credit card details in or debit card details there's no commitment to buy. And you can do all of the e learning for absolutely free. The only thing that is held back is some of the downloadable templates, uh, the aid memoir. But in terms of all the video e learning it's all there for free. Uh, you just essentially paid to do the examination at the end if you want to do that. So um, it's there for everybody to do. We have made that accessible. Like I say, all you need to hand over is your, um, your full name, email address, uh, telephone number, and that's it. So uh, there's no obligation to purchase the course, but you can have all that learning for free and, and, and learn from our experience.
0: Yeah, that's it. And then I guess the idea there could be in the future, if you do decide to buy a different drone that weighs more than 250 grams, you know, you've almost done the course. So you can just do the exam quickly with uh, with our uh, external external company and uh, then you're qualified straight away. So I guess there's sort of a, another positive there too, isn't there? So um, good. I think that's uh, another one answered, which is uh, very good. <clears throat> Um, another question that appears uh, quite often as well. Uh, so let's pretend I've done my A2 CFC, uh, but it's not showing up uh, on the CIA website when I put in my details. So uh, Adam, do you know why that is? Any idea? <laughs>
2: um, the, the simple answer is, at the moment, we as a company, as UAV don't know. Um, the We submit all of the certificates, all of the A2 CFCs and the GVCs every month to the CAA, so they have a, a full list of whoever it has completed along with their fly ID. Now, uh, the CAA has, has yet to update their systems uh, to show who has a valid A2C or even a valid GBC, next to their fly ID. Uh, this is something that they said should be implemented at some point, but never give a, uh, a definitive you know, date. So at the moment, if you log in to the CA's website, and obviously you've got the flyer ID, you can see that uh, you've got the A1, A3 as the flyer ID. You can see your operator ID. And actually, if you have an operational authorization associated with that um, operator ID, you'll see that as well. So the systems are Mm. there to a degree, but for some reason, the A2 CFC does not show that. It's not for a lack of us not telling the CA. It's, It's literally something to do with the CA systems that haven't been updated yet. So what we would recommend is to uh, keep a, a screenshot on your phone or tablet or, you know, best still, print it out or get it on a, an ID card, something like that, and just keep that with you all times. If the authorities want to check up on, on your certificate for whatever reason, they can do so with the CA. They have a process in place for checking that. Um, but in terms of, you know, it showing up on the CA's website, we just don't know just yet.
0: Exactly, yeah, I guess they're still in the process of kind of modernizing their systems, aren't they? I think it seems, and uh, for a long time it's been relatively old fashioned and I think now they are starting to catch up and hopefully they'll just uh, finalize a few bits and pieces and then it should just be like a one place to check everything, which will be uh, really nice, I think actually too. Um, Along the same sort of subject then, uh, the next question is all to do with um, getting your flyer ID updated. So obviously we know that the flyer ID uh, lasts for, uh, for a year and so people now have been renewing their flyer id obviously either getting a different type of um sort of string of numbers or a longer version etc and now obviously their new version doesn't match what is potentially on their certificate which is obviously a bit of an issue um so uh, yeah what do you say about that adam
2: uh, sorry tom just a slip of the tongue yeah you said one year for the flyer id uh, that's the operator id it's the The old flyer ID, which is, this is actually where this kind of question is coming from, the old flyer ID is FLY-something, was valid for three years. The new version, which is GBR-RP- is valid for five years. And it's this confusion over the old flyer ID. Um, So uh, what people have been doing is been been logging onto the CA's website and have been, oh, you know, take the new test. People have been taking the new test, been issued a new flyer ID and going, uh, that doesn't match my certificate. And it still says the old one. And we have constantly getting contacted about, about this. Now, we've been advised by the CAA to not reissue any A2 certificates or even a GBC certificate if the flyer ID has changed or been updated, okay? Um, it doesn't say that your certificate is not valid. It's just that we, as the training organization, can't reissue a certificate, we have to give you the original certificate. So the same principle kind of applies as the the previous question really is, take a screenshot, print it out, get it on a card, whichever you want to do, keep that with you, keep it with your new um, flyer ID, so your new A1, A3 um, certificate, keep it with that. Um, And then again, if for whatever reason your authorities need to check that you've got a valid A2C, and they're like, why doesn't this match up? They can contact the CA, the CA will have all that on file, and they'll be able to match everything. So key thing is, don't worry, just have it with you.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Matthew, did you have anything to add?
1: Yeah, I have to wonder whether the development of the system is going to, in the CAA, is going to sort of coincide and bring those things together. I have to wonder whether we're going to see a reflection of A2 permission, for example, on each individual's uh, profile at the same time as we're allowed to reissue certificates i wonder whether there's, there's some back-end development happening and that we'll hopefully have a nice little rollout in the in the new year perhaps
0: yeah yeah, that's it. That's what we're, we're hoping for, isn't it? And uh, well done, Adam, you passed the test there. I made that mistake on purpose. And uh, yeah, you didn't know what you're talking about. So uh, yeah, well done. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay, let's move on to the next one then. So uh, if I have a PFCO, uh, when do I need to convert um, to the GVC? So uh, again, let's go with uh, Adam to start with then he can answer this question. Um, Adam, when do I need to convert?
2: Okay, so... Um... Just a bit of, kind of terminology clear-up is you're not converting a PFCO to a GVC. Um, again, we, I, I know this is just kind of, uh, it's a bit of, bit of a bugbear for me. You're not converting the PFCO. What you're actually converting is your old certificate you got from your training organisation. So that might be an entry recommendation certificate. If you're um, quite a few years back, now, you know, if you did your certificate, so let's say five years ago, it might be something like a B or S um, from mm-hmm. a, a company that went plus called Euro USC. You're um, sort of
0: renewing your competency, I guess you could call it.
2: Exactly, yeah. You're renewing mm-hmm. the competency, competency certificate, not the permissions from the CAA. Um, so just clearing that up. Um, <laughs> so basically, what will happen is if you still want to operate under an operational authorisation, which is what your PFCO um, is now you'll need to hold a GBC by the beginning of 2024. So if um, you know you haven't done a GBC course by let's say mid 2023, I would say right let's get onto a GVC course, let's get it converted um, and you can potentially convert your um, your GVC, you can convert your entry recommendation certificate to a GVC. By not doing a new flight test potentially mm. if you've got the required flight logs so um when our sales at uav hub what we ask for to be exempt from a new flight test is that you have done uh, two hours flying in the last three months so essentially the minimum requirements for holding uh, an operational authorization anyway. Yeah. but on top of that we also want to see within the last 12 months that you've done at least 12 hours of flying so that averages um, about one hour's flying a month, or if you want to break it down per week, 15 minutes a week, um, or one battery. We want to see that you've, you've spun one battery a week um, on average. Um, so if you've done that and you can submit that to us and your DFCO operational authorization is still valid and current, you'll be exempt from the flight test, um, which is incredible.
0: Awesome. That's good. Yep. That's uh, yeah. Very, very well explained, Adam. Um, Matthew, anything to ha- add to that at all, or? or covered there I think looks like yeah it. I would say from <clears> my <throat>
1: perspective I think um, there's no time like the present in, in my opinion the sooner you're on board and you've sort of made that transition the sooner you can look forward and not worry about it inevitably people end up leaving it to the last minute and we see that time and again with all sorts of different things in life rather get it sorted out and don't worry about it in those last couple of months when the weather's bad and you can't get a flight test in if you do need to do it etc also the other thing is it's not very expensive either I think at the moment uav are, are doing it at about 150 odd pounds if i'm not mistaken uh, mm. which is really good value and of course if i'm not mistaken adam you can confirm this as well the deal at the moment also includes an a2 cfc which is a great little benefit as well
2: that's it so yeah you've got all the uh, includes all of the e-learning the online uh, theory examination uh, which can be done 24 um, 7 you don't need to you, know, you you can book it within 24 hours your theory examination if you'd like um, you know, get your flight log submitted to us, get your ops manual updated, that's all included within that £149, and that's inclusive of the AT, uh, you get your AT COC included, that's worth £99, so you know what, you, you get essentially two full courses plus an ops manual update for £149, it's, it is a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, it really yeah. is. <laughs> Great, okay, cool. That's another one um, ticked off then. So we'll now move on uh, to something slightly different. So um, again, what's, uh, and I'll probably direct this to Matthew, I suppose, really. Uh, What's the best app that I could use uh, to check airspace then? I think a lot of people, Uh, get confused about the different types and maybe something simple. What would you go for, Matthew? What do you reckon?
1: Yeah, Tom, I think that's very true. I think there's been so many different websites and apps and so on that people sort of end up in a bit of a a confused state. So the best recommended at the moment, we would suggest is if you're working on the desktop, uh, dronesafetymap.com is probably going to be your best option. This is powered by Altitude Angel. It's a really nice interface, simple to understand, simple to work with. And it's also specifically sort of drone-free. Friendly and, and created around drone operations, so I think it's very valuable. And then, secondly, if you're working off a mobile, then Drone Assist is probably going to be your best bet. And again, that's actually also powered by Altitude Angels. So those are our recommended go-tos at this point in time. They seem to be the most sort of current and give you the best information as a UAS operator. Cool.
0: That's good, yeah. So again, just a quick Google search of those should hopefully uh, lead you in the right direction as well. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So we're getting through them quite nicely here. So we've got another one then. So uh, if we've got the A two CFC, or if someone's got the A two CFC, is it worth having the GVC uh, on top of it, or you know potentially instead, if you haven't even got any qualification yet? So uh, uh, again, Adam, what would you uh, kind of, how would you answer this?
2: So if you're a hobbyist, um, perhaps maybe not. Um, and kind of the, the reason I say that is, it's got to be worth it doing for you because you've got to consider that uh, renewal fee with the CA every year. When I say that, I would argue it's not a a, a large expense for a, a you know a hobby that a lot of people you know, will spend thousands of pounds on a drone on each year. Uh, you know, 190 pounds a year to keep your operational authorization going actually isn't a lot of money if you put that against you know people will spend thousands of pounds every year on a brand new drone. I know not, that's not applicable to everybody, but I'm just trying to put things into perspective there, if you're a really big enthusiast. Um, and say that, you know, it can't hurt to do the GBC if you're just a hobbyist. You know, it's always better to have better and better qualifications so you'll be a much better pilot and safer pilot. Um, if you're a professional operator, I would say, hands down, yes, go for it. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, it's not limited by uh, type of aircraft. It's not limited by certified drones, um, you can fly anything up to 25 kilograms um, in congested areas. You've got this overflight of uninvolved people, although you should always limit limit the time doing so it's something yeah. that we you can do but you you shouldn't take it for granted. You know, it's, it's riskier yeah. um, to fly over somebody. Um, so you know, we always say if you have to you know make sure you limit the time doing so. Um, ideally don't but you've got that option um and the big thing actually is again this is aimed at professionals is the osc permissions the uh, these uh, this operating safety case um if you don't know what we're on about by an osc uh, check out episode 9 with gray and deck from um Ariel, uh, or episode 15 with echo alpha both of those episodes talk about the osc the different types of permissions you can get um and why it really is worth it especially if you're a professional um i'd say the last thing though know, it, it is widely accepted by i'd say larger organizations you know, the a2 cfc is designed for low risk environments uh, low risk operations if you're going to be doing higher risk operations which is more than likely with larger organizations it's going to be uh, the GVC and operational authorization
0: yeah I think it is and it's also probably more sort of widely understood as well the A2CFC is still quite new isn't it and I think a lot of people are still uh, not really understanding kind of what it is or the benefits of it so again it's a nice kind of safety net to have the GBC I guess as well if you explain to people it's sort of you know the old version of the PFCO I've done inverted commas for people who are just listening then that's a nice (laughs) way of uh, explaining it as well isn't it too Um, cool okay well that was our little FAQ section so uh, again this keeps kind of getting added to as we sort of move forward through the weeks and the months etc so we'll probably have another one of these episodes uh, coming up at some point but that was all of our FAQs anyway so now we're going to hand it over to uh, some listeners we've got a few listeners questions now Uh, and we've got our first one uh, from uh, a chap called uh, Liviu he's uh, been through uh, our course and uh, I think I did his flight test as well and uh, he did very well Uh, and he's just come back with a few questions actually just to sort of clear things up I think and hopefully this will kind of clear up uh, this subject for uh, a lot of you as well so basically, the first one, he's got his OA, obviously, so he's, he's operating commercially uh, and he wants to know if he starts to fly, um, let's say, uh, as a hobby or he goes out to practice, um, does he need to keep two separate flight logs? Uh, how does it work? You know, do you have to specify what you're doing when you're doing it if you've got an OA? So, uh, Adam, what do you think? How would he go about doing this? What's the easiest uh, option?
2: yes yeah, so i would say if you if you do have an operational authorization is log all of your flights regardless of whether it's practice hobby and um, or commercial um if you want to within the, within the flight log you could you can add in a column it's like you know type you know, you could add in practice commercial hobby it doesn't matter um and the reason that i say that is that obviously if you've got that operational authorization you've got to make sure that you've logged um two hours of flying within the last three months. So regardless of what you do, just, just write just write it down or you know, just plug it, it in there. Because the CA don't um, object to either, you know, as long as there has been flights conducted, they aren't concerned whether it's hobby, commercial or um, practice.
0: Yeah. That's it. It all counts, doesn't it? Any, any stick time, essentially, is uh, time you can put down on your flight logs that the CIA will um, accept, which is a bonus, really. So why would you not log it is probably what I would say. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. Um, cool. So sort of following on the same sort of um, topic, really, uh, from the view here. So uh, we've got another one. Um, so if we're doing practice flying, do we have to still go through all the paperwork? Because we've got an OA, it might feel as though you potentially have to. But uh, again, what would you say, Matthew, on this, uh, on this particular subject?
1: This is a little bit of a touchy one, Tom. I think we need to clarify a couple of details. One thing that I often talk to people about when they do their flight test is if they're going to repeatedly use the same space that they have permission to fly from, so if they have permission to fly from a sports field, for example, I would normally recommend doing a sort of a full planning exercise the first time going out to a new site. And if they're repeatedly using it for practice, they could lessen that to a certain extent. So they'll already know what the airspace type is and be confirmed that it's close chief for example and that they don't need permission Um, but they should still be doing a bit of an on-site and a risk assessment and so on each time they go out to make sure that every time they fly they are safe Um, so i think a lesser set of planning documents is needed for practice flights but i would certainly still be documenting to a certain extent how does that sound to you adam you agree
2: yeah so uh, obviously again to kind of break things down a little bit more as well it also depends on whether you're operating your practice flights whether you're operating under the open category or you're operating under the specific category in which case Good you're point. operating yeah. under your operational authorization so if you're operating within the bounds of the open category which is deemed I mean, vertical, as low risk yeah. actually you should again you only need to do those basic checks and you know, making sure you're not in a flight restriction zone um you know if you are in a very rural location that's pretty much the only thing you almost need to do is just make sure that the airspace that you're in is safe to do so there's no no tabs Whereas if you are operating or practicing under the auspices of your operational authorization, so your your, your, your practice area is within a congested area, um, and you are um, operating under your operational authorization, even though it's a practice flight, you should still do all of the required checks that are listed within your operations manual, because you're operating under your OA. Or if it's under the open category, that you know, A3 subcategory, far away from people, just the basic checks, are absolutely fine. And as Matthew's already said, you know, you know what, if you still operate in the same place, even in your operational authorization, if it's the same place that you're operating week in, week out, you know, you've already done pretty much most of the work anyway, you know, copy and paste it over, double check there's not a no time in place, you know, the flight restriction probably wouldn't have changed, but still with quick look. Um, you know what? And then it's an on site risk assessment while you're there, you know, Has anything changed on site? Nope. Right. Great. Yeah. Carry on.
0: Exactly, yeah. And I think that's kind of um, how a lot of us will do it even kind of without realizing because the learning kind of almost makes you always think about these checks that we do. You know, are not a sort of a dynamic risk assessment, checking the airspace, checking no one's around. You kind of almost start to do that automatically. And I think as long as you do uh, the exact bits and pieces and maybe document the most important bits and pieces like we talk about, then uh, yeah, yeah, like Adam explains, then that's pretty much if you are in the open category as much as you need to do, I guess, realistically. Yeah, Matthew.
1: So yeah, I think you've just also um, sort of re-alerted me to, one other potential risk and that is to stay focused on all of your checks and so on so don't become complacent just because you're doing a quick practice flight you still want to be checking the aircraft in detail and making sure that you're doing your pre-flight checks and that that isn't influencing the safety of your flight apart from the actual sort of planning and the environment that you're flying in
0: yeah that's a good point as well yeah that's brilliant cool so uh lastly then uh one more question and we've pretty much answered it i think pretty much uh with the the second question so again if we are practicing um can we fly under an oa permission while we're practicing if that makes sense and i, I suppose again it basically depends on whether we're going to be flying in the open category or the specific category adam is that pretty much it isn't it really
2: I'd almost repeat what we've just said. Yes, yeah. you can do practice flights um, under an operational authorization, but you need to do the requirements that are within your operations manual. But if you can do it under the open category requirements, which is your basic checks, then ideally do it under that and still, you know, still work your flights.
0: Brilliant. Cool. Okay. Well, anyway, I hope that was uh, useful of you. Anyway, good, good couple of questions there, which is uh, what we'd like to see. Uh, we've now got uh, another question uh, coming from David Clark. And this one's actually an audio um, question. So, I'll basically just hand it over to uh, David. David, what have you got to say?
3: Hi, Tom. Adam and Michael. First of all, really enjoying the podcast. They're a superb listen. I'm learning so much more and a lot of things I was previously not 100% sure about being clarified in um, certain episodes so thanks very much for this. Uh, I've obviously given you a 5-star review as well. But my question to you all is as follows. Basically, I recently passed my GVC and A2CFC through UAV Hub and intend to start offering my services to various businesses to try and well earn some money first of all and also to find a niche somewhere along the line. So don't you have a specific area that I wish to focus on really my previous work was as a landscape gardener, so it's not entirely transferable um so therefore i just wondered if you have any tips on completing that first job i've done a lot of practice and feel confident enough with the drone to do this now but i'm so determined to get things right from the off to start building my reputation also so desperate to not make a hash of it due to nerves I don't wish to ruin my reputation before I even start so do you have any advice or tips to get me over the line and what pitfalls I should be aware of
0: okay thanks David and uh, thank you very much for the uh, incredible feedback as well we do uh, like getting feedback from our listeners and uh, we'll carry on uh, trying to do our best hopefully that's uh, what we're here to do so that's what we'll carry on doing um, so uh, questions uh, or question I suppose from, uh, from you um, any tips about your first commercial job so I a lot of people probably think this, you know, normally they're preoccupied with the theory learning, then they're preoccupied with the flight test. Uh, and then suddenly they pass everything and they're like, God, I've actually got to do some commercial work now. And, you know, I think sometimes people get a little bit worried about that and they uh, and they start to, you know, get a little bit sort of um, caught up with the thought process. And, you know, is it going to be difficult? Will I mess it up the first time I try something? And I suppose the first piece of advice that I would uh, give out on that side of things is, because we've kind of engineered the flight test to be a semi-commercial job, you're probably a lot further ahead without really realizing it to start with. So what I would say is, you know, just treat it like another flight test, you know, go through all the planning again. The only difference is that this time you'll probably speak to the client and kind of, you know, sort of test the waters and get a bit of an idea of what the client wants before you arrive so it might actually make it even easier than the flight test that's what I would say but yeah if in doubt speak to the client as much as possible Uh, you know be friendly as well that's another thing that always gets you very far in life I think too Um, but yeah the first piece of advice is you know basically just prepare and uh, yeah don't panic I know that's easier said than done sometimes but like (laughs) I've said before treat it as another OE you've passed your OE already so I would say you're probably 80% of the way there already Uh, so uh, that's my tip I guess really so what about uh, what about you Matthew anything uh to sort of add to we've got a few bullet points haven't we
1: yeah, we have this right. Tom. I think um, what is very important is to be prepared in the sense that you know what it is that the client's looking for before you leave the ground. So take the time to communicate and understand fully what the requirement is before you find yourself sort of in flight, focusing on the aircraft, trying to maintain your spatial awareness, and perhaps not having the best communication skills under pressure. So make sure that you know exactly what it is that you're aiming to, to capture during the flight, um, be it video, be it stills, whatever it is, make sure that you understand understand what it is that the client's after. And that should help you be able to sort of prepare for that mentally and be able to go out and do it without having to do six flights to get a couple of shots, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think if you can ask the client kind of what they're after, uh you know on the phone even you know a few days beforehand at least then if there is a strange shot that you might have not done before at least you can go out and practice that a few times before yep. there's someone watching you and everything gets a lot harder so that's something else to <laughs> bear in mind um adam what are the other few things we've uh, got down here
2: yes yeah, so uh we, yeah, so we've kind of already covered you know patch safe and special here with there is it i would not always say you know expect it not to go to plan <laughs> um, it never does, you know, but I, I still get jitters over some of the, you know, it doesn't have to be actually flying, you know, I, I was a, on the ground cameraman, and you know, and you've got the client standing right behind you, there's nothing worse, you just get that horrible feeling in your stomach all the time, you know, you know, that, oh God, am I getting the right shot here? you? And sometimes they're not communicating with you and you're like, you know, just, just asking, you know, is this what you want? You know, is, is this what you're getting? And not all clients are the best communicators. Some, people, some are great. Some will just let you get on and go, yeah, looks great. Others will be very nitpicky. Um, mm. you know, just just be calm. Just just, just take your time with it. And just, you know, as long as you're staying within the regulation, you know, staying legal, just say, if you can't do something, just say, I'm really sorry, I can't do that. I'll be breaking the law nine times out of 10 they I'll understand. Um, one of the big things I will say is, you know, have a lot of spare kind of consumables with you. There's nothing worse than, uh, than getting on set or on site, you know, if you're not on set, it might be to an uh, inspection, and not having um, spare props with you, you know, if, you're, mm. if you've only got one set of props that's on your aircraft and you arrive arriving with bent, broken shit, and you haven't got <sighs> any with you, well, that's the day day over with, unless you can source them really quickly. Uh, same with SD cards or micro SD cards, um, you know, it does happen that you will arrive on site and you'll be like, yeah, no worries, you know, you'll fire up your aircraft. Oh God, I've left my SD card at home. Have I got any spare ones? Have I got any spare ones in the back? <laughs> oh God, no, I haven't. Yeah, uh, you know, that does happen. Um, it's happened to me. I, I've never it's, it's happened to me on jobs before when you know where you, you fill the whole memory card up and you go, gone. Oh God, I haven't, got any, I, haven't, I haven't got any more. I've got no other uh, SD cards. It, it does happen to, to the best of us. Yeah, uh,
0: I didn't think we'd use 64 gigs, and we have or something stupid, yeah.
2: you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. You know? people, are just, I keep shooting, keep shooting, and you're like. Oh god! And you just see the <laughs> timer go down. You're like, I hope he's going to, I hope he's going to call cut in a minute because uh, I've, I've got two minutes left. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, another one that you know people don't think of is uh, smart device cables. You know, if you're using your an iPhone or you know, any phone uh, or a tablet, um, and your cable breaks, you know, those little cables that you get with uh, most of the DJI aircraft are really flimsy. You know, if one breaks, have you got another one to try? Um, you know little things like that will catch you out um and it might be worth taking something like an external battery with you um again to charge your phone you know if you're there all day and all you've got for your screen is your mobile phone well that's going to be drawing power from potentially drawing power from your controller so you might have to every so often you know, unplug your, your your phone and give it some juice from an external uh, battery or even you plug your um your uh, drone battery into an external charger, potentially. Those are the kind of things you really going to start to think about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And we're speaking from experience, aren't we, Adam, as well? So, (laughs) uh, yeah, so all of these things are great, you know, and you only really realise that kind of when you're in trouble. So the idea is to kind of be prepared. And uh, another thing, and one of the last things that we sort of are going to mention here is basically just arrive early as well. You know, even if you think you know the area, you know, uh, you think it doesn't look too tricky, it's always good to arrive much earlier than you think, just because then straight away you're not stressed, which is, you know, a really good place to start. Uh, And if anything does go wrong, you can then obviously fix it in the time that you've got um as well. Adam, what did you want to add?
2: Yeah, I'm just gonna say, you know, you know, we always say, you know, go on Google Maps before run you know, due, scout at the area, check out all the maps that you can. But you know, sometimes those maps are out of date. Yeah. Even though it says, you know, yeah. Google Maps, you know, today's, you know, we're shooting this 22nd of November. it's like, oh yeah, it was last updated in February, twenty twenty one. Well, in that time, there might be a new development there. There might be a brand new building. It might be a car park. It could be something completely different. It's yeah, as best as you can obviously scope out. And get on Google, um, Google Earth, and go on Street View. Really scout out the area, but be prepared for it to be not what you expected.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you'll feel so much happier if you do get a chance to quickly go and scout the area out before the actual shoot when you arrive for the actual shoot you'll be like well i know all of this now it's all pretty much exactly how it was yesterday or something like that so again it can be a bit of a luxury to do that but it is always good it's the best case i suppose really and i guess the the main thing to remember is uh, and quite a good kind of saying that I normally work sort of with a lot as well it's plan for the worst and hope for the best isn't it really so again always try and plan absolutely as best you can and then hopefully you'll never need any of that and you can just carry on so hope that was helpful David and uh, yeah you'll have to keep us uh, in the loop with uh, your first job and uh, hopefully you'll get on and uh, you'll you'll do very well that's what we want to that's what we want to hear anyway isn't it so that's uh, that's great um, cool. Okay, so we'll now move on t- uh, to another question, and this has come in uh, from Paul Morgan um, as well, um, and this is all to do with um, uh, certified drones. So uh, uh, a subject that's very close to our hearts, I think, uh, as uh, UAV Hub staff. Um, and uh, basically, Paul is asking whether um, is there any more information about these certified drones? You know, what are these? What are these companies looking for to certify them? And are there any companies that are doing this at the moment? You know, Can we get any more information uh, from anywhere, any sources or our knowledge? And uh, I think Adam's been doing a little bit of digging, uh, which is always good and quite exciting. So uh, Adam, what have you found?
2: Okay, so so first off, um, the place that I always point people firstly is the CAP uh, 1789B uh, for the requirements for certified drones. The requirements are within there. Now I have gone back in there and had another thorough read of it. Um, It's been a while since I've been in there, and one of the things that I did re kind of pull out, and I did check on this, is there needs to be. um, This is within the UK, and it'll be exactly the same for um, for Europe, but I'm just focusing on the UK because this might be different now in EASA. Um, So what we need, what we need in the UK, is a conformity assessment body. Which is approved by the Secretary of State. Um, now, basically, this conformity assessment body is uh, a body that performs conformity assessment um, to make sure that it's certified, uh, you know, inspects the body. They they make sure that it does meet the requirements. And like I said, this has to be approved by the Secretary of State. Now, this approvals process can't be done by the manufacturer. Now the manuf- the, the manufacturers can still produce an aircraft that meets the requirements, the requirement specifications are in the CAP seventy ninety. I could go away if I had the facilities to do so and create an aircraft that meets the requirements. Now, to get the certification, however, it needs to go through an approved certified body, this conformity assessment body. Now, I've had a look to see if there are any conformity assessment bodies set up within the UK. And there is a website where you can check this out. And you can check this out for any, um, any, um, anything that needs conformity assessment. Mm. You know, if you want to get your, um, uh, let's say you're creating a toy, let's say for example, and you need to make sure it's assessed and approved as being a toy, there are approval processes in place or conformity assessment bodies that will check to make sure it conforms to the requirements of a toy. And this is the same for uh, certified drones now. However there aren't any companies set up to do uh, these assessments. Now, the website, yeah. if you do want to go and check this out yourself, it's um, www.gov.uk forward slash UK hyphen market hyphen conformity hyphen assessment hyphen bodies. So, um, <laughs> it, it, it is an official UK, web, uh, UK government website, and you can search for different types of um, industries, different types of requirements, I've had a look on there for unmanned, unmanned aircraft, drones, aviation. I've really dug down as best I can to see if our air companies set up. Um, one of the things I will point out within these is they aren't government organizations. They're approved by governments, by the Secretary of State, but these companies are independent companies, limited companies. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what company potentially sets up, or is already set up, that will move into approving certified drones. Obviously, some kind of manufacturing approvals company, I imagine, will look we'll into this. But uh, yeah, there isn't one set up as of today, 22nd of November uh, 2021. We're still 12 months away, uh, just over 12 months away from today, um, that it becomes legal a legal requirement that all drones have to be certified. So there is still time, still plenty of time. Um, but it's interesting, that this is the reason why perhaps the DJI Mavic 3 wasn't approved. Perhaps it's because the UK doesn't have um, a, an assessment body just yet mm. that's been set up. But it's not to say that this won't change within the next months. Yeah.
0: I think that's quite interesting. It's a good place to be aware of, I think, isn't it? Because I suppose when something does appear, that's probably a good sign. And that's when we might start seeing uh, other things. And I suppose then it could maybe be retro certified then, could it? If they've already made it to conform... They just need to check it and then say, "Yep, yeah, there we go, it's ready to go." I, I suppose that's just me guessing and hoping. I suppose, really, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I suppose it's more doubtful that side of things, isn't it? But uh, potentially, yeah, um, I, we'll,
2: we'll I, see. Well, I think what i would have to happen for that. I think if you did have a, a let's say, an older model of Magic Three, you might have to, I don't know, send it back to have it rechecked over, re-stamped. You know, the body. Oh, okay. so I don't really know because the regulations do say that it can't be retro-certified through a firmware update. No. Um, or anything like that so even if it does hit the requirements but it hasn't been certified it might be that you know again the mavic 3 version 2 comes out yeah. or the mavic 3s comes out you know however from this die. date or something yeah, anything sold after that these yeah, aircraft yeah. are certified um it's yeah. i don't think that they will retro certify unless you've traded them yeah no, it makes sense centimetre. yeah
0: yeah no exactly right yeah that's cool so hopefully that's uh, another question answered there i think we've covered everything that we need to haven't we yeah brilliant Cool. okay so uh, one last question then to go over and then we're uh, getting to the end of the episode actually so uh, another question then or the last question um, from Jay Cullen uh, and this is all to do with trying to find places to fly and practice so we get this coming up time and time again actually and it is quite a tricky one especially if you live in certain places like London or very busy areas it is sometimes hard to find places to fly um, but uh, yeah basically just want some advice on how to go about finding these places uh, and whether uh, it's worth joining in the BMFA etc like that so um, it's uh, a good place to start I think is probably with Matthew because he is a, a member of the BMFA I think so uh, Matthew what would you suggest for people who are trying to find places to fly?
1: Uh, it's um, yes, interesting uh, I did see the question come in and I saw there was a little more detail in the question when it arrived uh, on our doorstep and there was a little bit of a sort of negative tone to it in that I think this person had been in contact with the club and had a bit of a sort of negative right. experience in terms of approaching mm. the club. I was quite surprised to read that because, as you said, Tom, I'm a member of the BMFA, and, of course, they sort of oversee model flying in the UK, although they don't necessarily own the clubs or the flying sites that, that these uh BMFA members operate on they all of the clubs are affiliated with them now generally speaking they're trying really hard to promote the hobby and that certainly does include drones because they have actually in recent time launched a specific new part of the BMFA or an arm of the BMFA, if I can describe it that way, uh, which Mm. is the British drone flyers. So if people are interested, they can certainly do a bit of searching and have a look into that. But I would say that it's worth chatting to the office and getting in touch and trying to clarify the sort of negative feedback that they got, because generally speaking, the club should be welcoming any uh, sort of keen party to come and join their club and uh, and take part. The other thing I noted when I saw the inquiry come in or the question come in was that um, this person also spoke about relative high fees being required to go and fly at these sites. And from my experience as a member of a couple of clubs in the UK, Uh, club membership obviously will vary depending on the sort of facilities available etc but the clubs that i'm a member of vary between literally the most economical at 10 pounds for a full year's membership up to 50 pounds odd. so uh, they're not massively expensive so the sort of figures that were thrown around i was a little unsure of i think making contact with the office would be a good way forwards to try and get a better contact and a better perspective uh, on what the bmfa and their affiliated clubs offer but certainly generally speaking those sort of club sites should be ideal for doing practice
0: yeah exactly yeah and that's what i would probably suggest as well realistically um but uh other things to be aware of i guess so let's pretend we're not we're not maybe we don't have a club near us or you know uh we we want to find a different place to fly what other things do we need to be sort of wary of um, adam or things that we need to make sure that we kind of tick off before we start flying do you think
2: yes so um yeah if you're looking at sort of uh yeah private lands, you know, make sure you do kind of strike up an agreement with, um, with the landowner. Uh, don't just rock up to uh, a farm and just be like, mm-hmm. there's no one around here. I don't know who owns this. It's private land still. So don't just take for granted that you can fly on that open land. You know. try your best to find out who owns that land. Um, you know, ideally, if you don't know, if you're not from generally from the area, try and, you know, knock on a door i know it's not the most ideal but you know, do your best don't just rock up and fly on somebody's private land because you are breaking all its trespassing at the end of the day uh you know that's like you walking onto someone's garden you know, and taking your drone off it it's just not right uh so yeah just try to strike up an agreement i would say the majority of the time they're probably absolutely fine especially if you're just farming you might be able to uh, you know to do a favor for me oh can you take a photo while you're here but you know send that to me um yeah something like that might be a nice way to peace some might be like oh well throw us 20 quid for the year um and i'll let you use again mm-hmm. i would try to get something in writing if it's just an email i hope it just kind of cements that I, I put in quotations agreement uh just try to have something in writing just in case you know the landowner does decide at one point go no nope, i want you Um, you you shouldn't be here at all it's like well actually we did have an agreement um, Mm. in place here just to cover yourself a little bit I would say have something in writing
0: yeah that's Um, it and most people are quite receptive aren't they actually if you do make the effort to speak to them i think that's a great sort of step in the right direction to start with as well so i think it's always good to try and ask and you know if you don't ask you won't get so you've got to ask and if they say no then just you know have a go and find somewhere else to go i suppose too so there's a few different options i think realistically and normally if you want to um make use of some land if you offer something in return you know like like adam was saying some some images or a, you know a small amount of money or even some whiskey or something you know it's just a, just a good deed isn't it and uh you know as long as you don't damage their land being on it then i would say if i was a farmer i'd probably have you know not too many issues with that side of things really so uh there we go so hopefully that was uh helpful uh for you jay as well and that pretty much takes us to uh the end of this episode with um the faqs and the uh the, the questions we had quite a good one actually it's uh, gone on for uh, longer than we thought it would actually so we obviously had a lot of information to go through and uh, hopefully everyone's question uh, has been answered successfully um as well but just before we wrap up we do have a little bit of housekeeping we're going to call this the new housekeeping section and uh, this is all to do with uh, a few uh, bits and pieces that we're sort of uh, dealing with at UAV hub at the moment and uh, I will just hand it over to Matthew uh, very briefly just to talk about uh, an email that you might potentially get uh, from uh, UAV hub and maybe from Matthew actually as well so uh, yeah Matthew what did you want to say
1: yeah Tom um, this is just a quick note to uh, quite a number of the UAV hub students we are busy conducting an internal audit of our database and in effect we're really just confirming flyer IDs and the students um, full names so if you have received an email or if you do receive an email don't feel that you're sort of being picked on or sort of scrutinized everybody's being going through the process and really we're just confirming that your permissions are issued accurately that's the most important thing so if you do get the email please do us the favor of responding uh, as we've asked you to the easiest way to confirm your details is to log on to the caa website and give us a screenshot of your registered details so your flyer id with your full name visible in that screenshot and that way we'll tick you off and uh, move on we've had a little bit of uh, a couple of emails back of people unsure and wondering whether it's a legitimate email and if it comes from us etc we are busy with the process so don't be too surprised if you receive an email Uh, probably about 30 percent of the database needs some contact although that's really just for middle names in a lot of cases but uh, overall there's, there's no reason to panic if you do get an email from us yeah, there we go. That's
0: brilliant. that's, uh, I think, all we need to talk about there. So, uh, yeah, basically, it's just our own internal audit side of things. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully we can get you ticked off and uh, we'll move on to the next person. That's uh, what we've been doing. So um, there we go. So that pretty much is the end of the episode now. Uh, I think we've covered everything. Anything else, uh, Adam, that you want to add at all or all fairly happy?
2: Yeah, the only thing I'll just kind of add is, um, obviously, we're coming up to Black Friday now. Uh, so this is going oh, yeah. out on Wednesday the 24th. 24th yep. <laughs> of uh, November, uh, Black Friday is two days after, so the 26th. So we do have, or uh, well, we're going to have some great deals on the website. Uh, so you know what, if you've already got your a 2 CFC and you want to get your GVC, we've got some great deals on GVC. If actually you've not done anything with us, we're going to have some great deals on the bundles, um, on mm. our expert bundles, absolutely fantastic prizes. Uh, keep an eye out on the website, um, You know, subscribe to the mailing list um, if you want to find out when they go live but there is going to be some absolutely amazing deals on there Uh, not one to miss Uh, and that will only be running until Cyber Monday uh, which is I'll just confirm the date Uh, so the end of Cyber Monday 29th of November Uh, so you have that four day window to grab yourself uh, a bargain that's
0: it yeah and maybe if you've got any friends who haven't sort of jumped in or pulled the trigger yet as well you could probably uh, let them know about that side of things too you know it all helps doesn't it making it uh, slightly more affordable as we come up to Christmas and uh, yeah we'll try and do our best to uh, help as many people um, as we can so uh, yeah there we go so uh, once again thanks very much for listening uh, you've been listening to episode uh, 25 uh, do uh, the things that we normally uh, ask of you if you don't mind so subscribe uh, to the podcast obviously uh, give us a review if you haven't done already and also check out the YouTube channel as you'll be able to see our, our lovely faces in front of you as well, while we talk too, it's not just uh, not just our voices there. So uh, um, I think that's pretty much everything from that side of things. Um, so uh, yeah, thanks very much uh, once again, everyone. Uh, it's goodbye from Matthew, Adam, uh, and myself, and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks a lot.